0: Today I have a very special episode for you, a conversation with the incredible Professor Jo Bowler. Her work has been published in the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Telegraph, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and many other news outlets. She is currently co-leading U-Cubed and was named as one of the eight educators changing the face of education by the BBC. We covered a lot of ground in our discussion, including parenting, pioneering in a male-dominated discipline, developing mathematical mindsets and how to embrace failure. I was honored to have a conversation with her and I hope that it was as transformative for you as it was for me. Links to the resources can be found below. Professor Joe Bowler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much um, for taking the time to talk. It has been a, a dream to have a conversation with you, so thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for those kind words, and uh, it's very good to be here. And where Just are you?
0: Uh, where are you phoning in from? I can see a familiar background. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I am
1: currently to... in Stanford, California, mm-hmm. in the midst of a busy teaching week. As with many teachers, I am fully engaged with my classes and planning and teaching at the moment
0: yeah fantastic we are uh, in Australia we're currently on holiday which is uh wonderful uh, we've got a few more days left so we're all kind of uh I wouldn't say dreading but we've uh we're <laughs> trying to get back into the swing of things but uh, Joe, quite yeah. possibly the most important question for our conversation um what's your coffee order for when I can finally nip over to Stanford and buy your coffee
1: <laughs> Well. I like it depends on the time of day it's a complicated question but just an americano is good normally lovely
0: fantastic and um what is there an item that's still on your bucket list something that you are yet to do i mean you seem like you've done you've achieved so much professionally uh, but is there something which you are still hmm. still love to
1: do i would love to go to some places i've never been to Um, I've never been to India, and it's on my bucket list of places to get to. Um, I've never been on a cruise. I always think about how cool that looks, and I've never done that either. So mainly my bucket list things are travel related.
0: Sounds wonderful. And is there a book that you have read recently? It could be within your sphere of expertise and education, or it could be more broadly, uh, that has caused you to stop and reconsider a few things in your life?
1: You know, a book I totally loved and it's just coming out as an Apple se- an Apple TV series is called Lessons in Chemistry. Right. Um, I actually posted on Twitter how much I loved it and the author responded. And then she and I got into long conversations about life and getting okay. pushback from people because now she's getting haters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I have too. So we talking talk about that. And um, it's really an amazing book. It's a fiction book about a woman scientist who, um, it's set, I think, in the 50s. And she has a really hard time getting respect as a scientist or even getting a job and um, ends up becoming a celebrity chef on TV. Wow. And she does it all through chemistry. And it's just it's just got some really powerful messages, particularly for women and women under attack and Gosh. women who are being oppressed. Gosh. Um, so I found it really quite inspirational, made me wow feel better about a lot of things. Good
0: to hear. And, and Joe, before we hit record, we were talking about um the amazing impact that, they, that the the Women's World Cup had. My understanding is that you were over in Australia for a little bit, and, and just yeah. keep in mind that um that thread, I guess, of being a a pioneer or a woman in a a certain industry that is probably more traditionally dominated by men. Uh, Do you feel like you can relate to some of those lessons from chemistry?
1: (laughs) Definitely. I mean, the the pushback I tend to get um, really strikes me as people who think a woman just shouldn't be out there saying things about mathematics. Gosh. Yes, and talking about the Women's World Cup, that was an amazing event, the football or what some people call soccer.
0: Yeah, I still call it. I'm from England, too. I still call it football. So,
1: yeah, I do, too. And um, but that, yes, we were in Australia actually for some work. That was kind of a handy coincidence that people asked <laughs> to go and visit and it happened to be the Women's World Cup. So we did go to a couple of games. It was just such a, an amazing celebration of what women women can do yeah Uh, I think I've seen this shift in England of um men watching women's football now because I mean the standard is so high that you're an Arsenal fan you may as well go to two games at the weekend now and you can go and watch women and men and so it's just such a great Changed to yeah. see that and I love that. I love seeing the boys wearing Sam Kerr shirts when I was in Australia. Yeah. Um, and the girls, of course. But yeah, these these women are really inspirational.
0: I've got two um uh, incredibly strong-minded uh daughters. At some point they may come running into the room. <laughs> um, and um uh, for me, um, it really reminded me of the importance of representation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, of course, I, of course, knew that, but we're very conscious with our daughter who's just started, oh, sorry, is more than halfway through kindergarten the now, gosh, um, uh, just about how important it is for her to see women and girls doing amazing things. And I, yeah. I, was, I was having, I was having I a conversation with her last night. And I'm a teacher and all kids of teachers, uh, tend to learn all of the time. And so we're sitting at our dining room table, and she had a variety of dice and counters, and she was looking at a graph. And and, and for her, we were talking about what it meant to be a mathematician. Um, And it was really interesting to hear her point of view. and I am, uh, when I was at school, um, I absolutely hated maths. Um, I was mm. convinced my teacher hated maths because he just didn't show up. Um, mm. and, um, for me, uh, reading your work has been really... Um, transformative, I think, that perception of what a mathematician is. Um, and I know, of course, you write extensively about mathematical mindsets, which we will mm-hmm. try and touch on in our short time together. Um, but I, I guess there's a question somewhere in there. But my, uh, my I guess my follow-up question is, um, in your dedication to mathematical mindsets, um, you write for Jamie and Ariane, my two girls who inspire me every day. Why do they inspire you? And what is it about um, Yeah, what is it about your kids that's changed you?
1: Mm, Well, that's a a really deep question. I um, have loved having children. I wasn't sure before I had children. I know some people are like desperate to have kids. And uh, I was like, do I want kids? I don't know. But anyway, as soon as they arrived, I was totally uh, in love with them and really enjoyed that The journey with them and just so many so many ways they inspire me in their their learning journeys they're both high level athletes they both play football um and all that they go through my youngest who's now 17 is currently in her second tearing of her acl oh and just watching her, when she tore it the first time, when you tear your ACL, you're basically out for like nine months, which when you are 15, as she was, seems like forever. Mm-hmm. And um, But what she did was she spent that whole nine months studying soccer games. And when she tore her ACL, she was a goalie. She always wanted to play on the field, but they thought she was better in goal. <laughs> but she studied soccer games for nine months. And when she came back, she was so good on the field. She became the striker for the team that um, the national team came to watch her. She was recruited by a ton of colleges, gave her full rides. So, but what was interesting to me in this journey is I've been reading this neuroscience about how you can study some performance. Like they've done this with pianists. They compare pianists who are learning piano by playing the piano with pianists who study piano playing, and they find that their performance is the same. Because when you're watching intently something happening, your part part of being good at something part of good performance is a brain pathway. Yeah, like part of being able to kick that football well is your brain making the right connections, and then it goes through to your foot, but you develop the brain connections by studying it. And I am sure that this nine months of watching so intently actually helped her develop in really important ways to the point that she was so much better when she went back after nine months out. So, I mean, this is amazing. You know, an example. Yeah. uh,
0: Even having that sort of, I think so many people for that nine months would just kind of check out and watch Netflix and just kind of waste that. But it's really interesting to see that she actually there was um, some intention behind that time and it wasn't wasted. Um, I think that's really that's really yeah. inspiring. I don't know if I would be as strong to do that. I'd probably just sit home and eat, eat chips, I guess.
1: <laughs> Me too. But my younger, uh, sorry, my older daughter who's in college now has also just really, it's been so great to watch her because she's the kid who had learning difficulties, learning whatever you call them. She had yeah. dyslexia and auditory processing. And she was a really slow thinker, deep, slow, would come up with incredible insights, but slowly. And, of course, the education system is not set up for those kids. Wow. And, you know, we really value speed and getting through things quickly. And But she would end up staying up to like two in the morning every day doing homework, uh, two or three in the morning, And because she never did things quickly. Now, she ended up getting 4.0 GPAs and going on to college, and she's also an athlete, so she's managing college and playing for the soccer team, the football team. But um, she developed such a strong growth mindset. I, I I feel that a lot of kids with special needs have greater mindsets than kids who found work easy yeah. because they've had to come through that struggle, they've had to get through people communicating to them that they aren't very good at things.
0: Yeah. Um, Interesting. And
1: so I'm just super impressed with her mindset and ability to get through all that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a really nice parallel there, I think, between um, what you're talking about with your your children and also developing that mathematical mindset, because I remember getting... I remember sitting in a year nine class, I think we, uh, sorry, year seven class, my mistake. we just arrived in Australia. I had no idea where I was. I sounded funny, Mm -hmm. I looked different. Um, And I remember uh, distinctly um, a maths lesson that I had where I decided that maths wasn't for me. Um, And I remember it because my teacher I tried to there's an equation on the board and I I tried to to do the equation and I got it wrong and I remember having to stand up in front of everybody and explain why I'd made the mistake um and I just remember being so so terrified and it's funny how those mindsets or those perceptions of yourself as a mathematician really um really shape the rest of your uh, mm-hmm. I guess, journey with maths, and obviously, like I said, you write sort of extensively about that, and um, we probably don't have the time to unpack it all. But but why is mindset so important, and how do we be- even begin to develop that mathematical mindset?
1: It's so important. I mean, we know that the most successful people in the world are not those who were born with any great advantages. They are literally the ones who kept going and kept going when things are really difficult. Um, Einstein. Somebody, I'm just starting a new undergraduate class at Stanford and I talked about how our brains aren't fixed and it's really a lot to do with mindset and one of the students said oh but what about people like Einstein he must have had a different brain right and Einstein is a classic example of somebody right. with an incredible um, mindset, all the writings that he shares about keep, how many times you try things over and over and over and over again until you can get it right. Um, the yeah, and we know that the people who are successful are the ones who have that mindset. And so yeah. when kids get the idea that they can't do something, then their brain literally starts working less effectively. Yeah. And yeah.
0: <laughs> and and I, th- I think, Joe, I mean, this is maybe an obvious question for it. A Stanford professor, but is there something that you're working on right now that is really hard that you yourself have to be developing that mindset? It could be a, an instrument. It could. Be, it might not necessarily be within your faculty. But is this, is there something that you're currently really trying to to figure out that is tough and developing that 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 mindset?
1: You know, I think as an academic, you really have to have a growth mindset and feel good about failure because it's really part of academic life that you just fail over and over again we have to submit grants like cubed will not stay in existence unless we can get grants to fund it because nearly everything on ucube is free but we need a team of people to produce it and we need to pay their salaries and um we apply to grants and i probably 90% of the time they're rejected so um And papers, when you write a paper and you submit it to a journal and then you get these people review it, sometimes you wonder what they know when they're writing their review and they write all these things. And you just have to think, you know, I I remember when I was doing my own PhD, my PhD advisor, who's called Paul Black, and he's an amazing person um, now, Sir Paul Black. But he said to me, whenever you submit a paper to a journal, you should have in your mind what where's the next journal you're going to send it to when you get the rejection and <laughs> so I've used that and had that approach like you just have to be okay with failure because it's it's a really big part of the job yeah and I think even like going back to our original
0: question where we're talking about what it's like to be a a female pioneer in an industry mm-hmm. that is- Dominated by men. I mean, you you must have to be incredibly resilient <laughs> to keep going.
1: I think mean, I have had. I think I have had to develop resiliency over the years because I've had some horrible pushback. Still have. It's still ongoing. I woke up. This is my day. This is my new life now. I wake up every day to a Google alert saying there's a new story that includes your name, and I just read them, and my heart <laughs> sings because yeah. they're awful. Yeah. Um, descriptions and I think how is it legal for people to write that about me apparently yeah. it is you can write anything about anyone in the U.S. Yes. and okay. um, so I've really had to develop the ability to keep going with all of this going yeah. on around me yeah and all the people attempting to silence me um, so yeah I think that developing Gosh. resilience is something I've had to do, yeah, uh, Joe. Changing direction slightly because, um, uh, I'm just really
0: interested in what your experience at school with maths. Sorry, I keep saying maths. Um, uh, I know in America we you call it maths, so excuse me as I go between those two. I
1: also say maths. Oh, good, I, um, I think
0: it's the right way to do it. And ever professor, I do too. I'm from England, so. lovely. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, what was your experience with maths like at school, and did you ever in your wildest dreams think you'd be doing what you're doing now as a professor at Stanford? because I never did. The trajectory.
1: Never thought that in my wildest dreams. Um, I went to a regular public school and my experience of maths was mainly pretty boring. Um, I could do it, but it was just, you know, answering short questions that teachers gave me. And in fact, I planned to be a scientist because I thought scientists, science was more interesting. Um, and when I did A-levels, you have to take maths. So I took maths and I took science subjects, but I had this amazing A-level maths teacher. So this was when I was 17, 18, and she was different to any other teacher I'd ever had in maths. And she was different because she just asked us to talk about the questions. And we would sit in groups and discuss, like, what do we think we should do? And why Why does that work? And, and I have... Never I had never had that experience. And it just changed the subject for me. I also had this really cool woman teacher. Um, I remember that she it, it was, you know, in the 80s, and she used to race into our classroom and slam the door. Yeah. And oh, thank God I managed to miss the head teacher because she would wear dangly earrings and they he said they weren't allowed. So you know, this act of rebellion from my this teacher made me like her more. and um so anyway, I had this great experience of maths at, at those ages, and that changed me. That changed how I thought about maths and it changed how I thought about me. Yeah, so from then on, I was you know into doing more maths and taking it further. So it's, go- it's obviously going back to that mindset, uh, Joe. about
0: uh, do you think at the moment that you you changed that perception of yourself as a mathematician, do you think that was really important? And, and maybe a follow-up question as well is what was it that this teacher did? Because we tend not to, well, in my experience, I don't remember the content of the great teachers that I had, but I remember how I felt when I was in their classroom. W- w- would you agree with that? And what
1: was yeah. some of the things that that teacher did to help you? Well, as I said, she had us do the work in groups which that just changed everything for me and it was a level which is you know a lot of calculus and high level maths and um she would do something which i've in recent years seen over and over again is powerful through research which is she would have us discuss the questions before she taught us methods and so at that, what the research studies say is if you do that, if you give kids the questions before they learn methods and just ask them what do you think you would do, talk about ideas that they have, um, if you do that, then when the, they are taught the methods, their brains are primed to learn them because they're interested and they've been trying something and they want to know a way forward. But when we yeah. teach them methods first – a lot of kids are like, why am I learning this? What is yeah. this useful for? Yeah. So she did that. She had us talk in groups. She would then pull us together and show us some new things. Um. So yeah, just th- those two things really made maths a whole different subject for me. Fantastic.
0: I, I remember a university elect- a lecturer that I had, and you may be familiar with her, um, at Western City University, a lady called Dr. Catherine Attard in Australia, and she is just she changed the game for me in maths. So I went into her lectures thinking, I have to do this because I want to be a primary school teacher and we have to do maths and all that kind of stuff. And being in her class, it really was a light bulb moment because I realized just the, the beauty and the diversity, the richness and the complexity of maths. And, and to be perfectly honest, Joe, I felt really ripped off because
1: mm-hmm. I was like,
0: where was this? When right. I was in high school. And it was, mm-hmm. it really, for me, created this sense of anger and injustice, because now maths by far is my favorite subject to teach. Um, And if I could get away with it, I would teach it all of the time. I know, of Mm -hmm. course, it's integrated into everything. But I actually felt a little bit angry, because um, for me, maths was all about answers and algorithms and don't turn to the back of the book. And so once I sat in um, Professor Catherine Attard's lectures, it really yeah, really, it really changed my perception, and and I think mm. then, of course, being okay. familiarized with your work, it really reinforced that idea that um, of the complexity and of the beauty of this subject. And um, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. I felt pretty angry about that, to be honest.
1: Yeah, you know, I've had that experience a lot because I go out and about to lots of places, sharing that maths can be this beautiful subject. We can see it visually in, and in different ways. And a very typical response I get from adults is, "Why?" Did I not know this when I was in school? And why was it not taught to me like this? If it had been taught to me like this, my life would have been different. And um, so I think that's not uncommon for people to feel pretty annoyed about that, that they weren't given that insight into what mathematics can be.
0: We have a, a whole new maths, a whole new syllabus coming in next year, which is mandatory for three to six. And and central to that in maths is that kind of building around those big ideas. Um, mm-hmm. And I have really loved seeing my students' perceptions of mathematics change. So at the beginning of the, the year, we did a what do you think a mathematician is? And then at the end mm-hmm. of the year, we did the follow up as well. And seeing some of those changes in their perception has been really. Um, that's really nice. interesting. So we've gone basically at the beginning of the year from a mathematic a mathematician is someone that does maths and adds numbers to mm. a mathematician is someone who is creative and solves problems mm. and has mm. a go, and I think that is some that. of the most valuable research we've had, and that is largely due to your work um, yeah. around big ideas, which has been really wonderful. Uh, Joe, I was just wondering, what uh, what's one of the most memorable maths lessons you've ever seen? It could be one that you've seen of a student, uh, it could be one that you've implemented yourself, and and why was it so meaningful?
1: I think one of the best maths lessons I have ex- seen or experienced. Um, Actually, there's two I'll tell you about. One came about when I was visiting a mathematician who I really like. His name is Steve Strogatz, and he's at Cornell. He's an applied mathematician at Cornell University. And he teaches a course to non-maths majors where he wants them to see the beauty of maths. So I went to watch that lesson, and I filmed it, and we have some on our website, of students like investigating a really cool puzzle, and um, they were having to work out. It's called pennies and paper clips. Where to put pennies and paper clips to sort of do well in this game? And the different students had these different conjectures, and they shared them on the board. And other students made connections with their work. And somebody gave a visual kind of proof of what they were thinking. And It was so great. I was super impressed with that lesson. I loved seeing college students engage. But a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm doing work with the OECD at the moment in Paris. They're about to launch some amazing new What Should Maths Be going towards 2030. Gosh. Really great, I love it. And I'm helping them with their kickoff event. And they said, would you get a film of a teacher who's doing kind of what you recommend? So I reached out to a fourth grade teacher near us and we went to their classroom and she was she gave the kids a U-cubed problem that actually seemed really hard. I was like, wow, fourth graders are going to attempt this. And then she said that to the kids, you know, go work in your groups. You can sit wherever you like. You can use whatever resources or tools you like. And the kids all scattered at different places in the room and sat in different arrangements. And they were able to go and choose whatever manipulative... Um, And it was amazing. And they were working on this really challenging problem. Not a single group gave up. This teacher's done all this work around encouraging struggle. And she she chatted with them before the problem about what do mathematicians do? And the kids said, they draw things and they investigate. And it was so great. And I'm partly sharing this because we made a little video of the teacher and we're about to release that video on that's our great. website, so you can see what I'm talking about.
0: I, I think that's really, I think that's really wonderful, Joe. And, and one of the last lessons I did, I, I had the privilege of supervising a number of classes, and one of the last lessons I did was your lesson on uh, the volume of a lemon, uh, and it was so much fun. Like we. Gosh, I'd, it was the easiest lesson to prepare. I bought a bag of lemons. I found some bits and pieces in the storeroom, put them into trays, and found some uh, alfoil. And we we just made these incredible creations. And to see how engaged our students were was really quite amazing. I mean, it was it was chaos, but I actually really loved that. Um, yeah, and, and I think giving kids the opportunity who hadn't always perceived themselves as mathematicians to Mm. be able to conduct these problems was great and seeing the struggle was Mm. was really wonderful um and and I think that goes back down to what we were saying before about the importance of really reframing and 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 changing that mindset around mathematics and yeah yeah well I
1: love that you were willing to have a lesson that you said was kind of chaos because yeah that's some of the that's where the best learning happens but some teachers are afraid of that and in in elementary I I get the feedback that some elementary teachers say you know maths is my time when it's really formalized and rule-based like we have play in other areas like art and English but in maths it's like this peaceful just follow the rules in the book and and um, so how do we get people comfortable with seeing maths like they see other subjects? Yeah, that's about exploration. It's a little chaotic. You don't have to know what kids are going to come up with. That's not important. They can come up with new ideas, and you can be surprised by them. It's yeah. a really different role for the teacher. It it's really um it's really refreshing and
0: really wonderful to I, I think to see and to be part of an environment like that was um, really wonderful and really really eye opening. Um. I was just wondering, Joe, um, what are some of the things that we need students to master to be great mathematicians? I mean, you talk uh, in depth in your work about number flexibility and the importance of mm-hmm. different, different skills. But what that, what are some of the things that we need to be instilling to, to it within our kids so that they can engage in meaningful ways in mathematics?
1: Well, we definitely need to help them develop growth mindsets and see themselves as being able to try and do anything. That's number one. And then they need to see maths as more of a playground. It doesn't actually work to deliver mindset messages and then give worksheets. Because kids don't see how they can grow and learn. We need to open up maths questions. So there's space for growth and learning. and um, So it's the combination of mindset messages and a more open mathematics that really helps kids see maths and themselves differently. Um, The OECD in this guidance they're giving for the world and what we should be focusing on going to 2030, they focus on three big areas that they say are super important, which they describe as number sense, data, literacy and digital literacy. Um, so very glad to see them put number sense up there. And they talk about, you know, we need kids to have flexible ways of holding knowledge and being able to apply it in different ways. It's not about learning rules and um, yeah. developing data sense similarly. Yeah, I, I think that's I mean, that's
0: so incredibly important. I mean, I, um, uh, I we do a lot of number talks with our students, which are Great. amazing when you. Yeah. When you see some of those their perceptions and their insights, it's really quite amazing. And one of the things which we, uh, so we we spent about a year doing professional learning to get us ready for um, our new three to six curriculum, which, as I said, focuses extensively on uh, mathematical reasoning and also uh, big ideas and so on and so yeah. forth. But really trying to build those connections between mathematics strands that we wouldn't think would have a connection. So for example, mm-hmm. time and fractions, um, yeah. data and yeah. chance and all of these right. things, which I just remember sitting like, we are so fortunate, we have some amazing curriculum leaders at our school. But I remember sitting in some professional learning with them and going, oh my goodness, I would never would have put these two things together. Because mm. I think for so long we're used to teaching, um, you do like, data on a Monday, you do chance on a Tuesday, then you do a bit of number on Thursday and Friday. And the whole idea of integrating, I think is really, really, really important. I mean, you talk a lot about that in um, uh, in terms of Pascal's triangle, I believe, and you're saying, yeah. how do we get students to see those connections, I think is really, really wonderful. But do you have any insights into how do we, how do we begin to build those networks across um, key learning areas in maths? And how do we begin to develop some of these big ideas to really engage our kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think teachers need help from the people who are giving them advice about maths and putting policy documents out there. Um, the uh, This is how I think about where we've been in maths, is that we have this subject of mathematics, which is like a few big ideas and really rich connections between them. And somebody takes that rich, connected network and chops it up into tiny pieces and then delivers these small pieces to teachers, usually as standards. And teachers don't see the connections between them, uh, and nor do kids. So uh, bringing back those connections is part of what we've been doing in making big ideas. We have gone from the standards and pulled them back into bigger themes and really highlighting the connections, as you say, between things like shape and time or fractions. These are all things that are often taught at different parts of the year, but could totally come together in some rich tasks. The teacher I mentioned that I really loved, and we've filmed, and we're going to share this film, and maybe you could link it with this, is um, she really wants her kids to know about mathematical connections. And She does something I've never seen before. She's got all these maths words up on the wall. And she says to the kids, if you see a connection between different areas of maths, let me know. And we're going to put a string up to connect the two ideas.
0: Love that. What a great Um, idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And on that string, there's a little post-it note with the kids' description of how these things are connected. And so she's got this wall of her classroom with all the, the maths and these different strings and the kids' words and she said that at the end of the year when she was taking it down all the kids wanted to take their post it notes home because they were really proud of coming up with these connections so
0: love that I, think- I mean once you start to kind of as a teacher shift your mindset around what mathematics is and and and, and some of those connections it's really interesting to see as well what kids come up with because some mm-hmm. of the most we've had some credible conversations around what a mathematician is um, uh, how we can solve these big problems? For example, there's a there's a problem with um, uh, we're looking at like a, a, a trip into the city, for example, and students had to work out how much do they need for the bus fare, what time does the train come, what uh, they need to look at maps of the zoo, and all of these different types of things. And and I had one student say to me, I believe this was last year when I was on class. Uh, one student say to me, um, "Mr. Green, when are we when are we going to start maths? Because right now we're." Um, we're just having a conversation about this big problem, and another student kind of chirped in and said, "This is maths," um, yes. which, which I think was 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 really wonderful. And then um, that was great, yeah. And then seeing students when the you know that that moment when the bell rings and um, kids are like, "Oh, I don't want to go to recess." It's just one of those <laughs> moments I think that you know that the kids are deeply engaged, um, yeah. and it, I think. I mean, we, we can't go back to what it was like previously because I feel like um especially in, in, in my sense there, my eyes have been open to what the possibilities are and it would be such a, a back step, I think, to to then revert to I think old habits around mathematics. It's been mm-hmm. it's been really, really incredible to see. So Joe, how do you define the term mathematician?
1: Well, I think of mathematics as this amazing kind of lens and way way of seeing that we can lay upon things in the world and it helps us see things better and see things more deeply. So if I can learn some different ways of approaching problems with mathematical tools and mathematical ideas, then I can take that set of ideas and use it in the world all over the place. So um, I partly think of maths as kind of a lens that we can lay over the world and we see more and we understand more but then you know recently and in fact I was just in a presentation last night by Manil Suri who's a mathematician I recently have started to realize how math is in the world it's not so he was showing examples of mollusks that have Sia Pinsky triangles all over their shells because they've made those patterns and it's just there like this is something that's all through the world and maybe we're not laying a lens on it maybe it we're just be coming around to understanding it but anyway i do think that if you develop um different ways of seeing maths different ways of approaching it different ways of thinking about it it's gonna just give you a set of ideas about maths and other things that you can use in your life in all sorts of ways yeah and I mean,
0: it it sounds so simple, doesn't it? I think sometimes as adults, we get in the way and we complicate things a little too much. And I think hearing you talking about just the simplicity of this wonderful subject is is hugely refreshing and I think really important. I just wanted to ask you as well, Joe. I mean, you, you write extensively about mathematics as a path to equity. I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe touching on what you mean by that. And I'll make sure I put a link to obviously all the things that you mentioned in your resources and our show notes. But how can maths be a, um, uh, mm. what do you think the, sorry, how can maths and how are maths and equity related?
1: Well, mathematics, as it has been for a number of years, is a very inequitable system where we only have certain groups going ahead very, very inequitable in the US, I'm not sure about where to how it is in your area. But um, part of those inequities have come about because we decide who can do maths and who can't. Or we think, you know, people think they can decide that at an early age, and put kids on different pathways, some of which go nowhere, and others go to high levels. And there's too much of that thinking in the system that I can tell what a kid can do. I know from this fourth grader, whether they can take the highest level of maths in high school. And of course we don't know, and we don't know what any student can do. And um, so once we have a system of like separating kids and then you layer into that, there's a lot of stereotype people thinking people have about who can be successful. You get what we have, which is, You can predict students' Mm. achievement on state tests by their race and by their background. So um, we really have to rethink that. I think if maths was taught and treated like other subjects, like here in the U.S., there's this whole system of taking high school math courses in middle school, um, but we don't do that with any other subject. We don't do it with history. We don't do it with English. It's just maths. And it's really been turned into this race who can get ahead, who can do more than other people. And that's so unfortunate because, you know, when we set it up like a race, then we know the most privileged people are going to end up winning because they put more, they, you know, make sure that happens. And we allow that to happen by having the system we have. Yeah, we can change the system so that all kids are able to get to high levels. Yeah. And there are different ways of doing that, but we can work to make that happen and we can disrupt those inequities, but it really takes some careful thinking and it starts with not thinking we know what kids can do and not yeah. thinking that some kids are capable and some of them aren't. Yeah. I think that I think that really touches on the
0: conversation we had in the beginning. We're talking about, um, uh, like I said, what it's like to be um, uh, a female who's pioneering in a, in a certain area. I think there's all these visible and also invisible voices that tell people what they can and what they can't do. And and for me, being a, a dad to two very young kids, two very young mixed race kids, it's a uh, my eyes have really been open to some of those. Um, Indirect and direct inequities, I think, in our life, and um, it seems strange for me to say that. I think as a as a white middle class male, but I think beginning to to view the world um, uh, in a slightly different way has has really helped me to know that even my students in my class come with all sorts of um, limitations, come with all sorts of um, uh, restrictions, and also advantages into my classroom, and to be aware of that. Um, I think mm-hmm. is is so incredibly important and um, uh, Joe, I do want to be respectful of your time and, and like I said, there is no way on earth we could talk about all of your amazing work and um, so at some point um, uh, in the future I'd love to do a, a, a deep dive and and, and look at um, uh, uh, some really, uh, sorry some key components of your research, but that's for another day. Um, but I did just want to ask you, um, would you mind talking a little bit about assessment? Um, how do we assess uh, in maths, Um, how do we, do we even need to, and and what are some of the things that we, you think we're currently getting wrong uh, in terms of mathematics assessment?
1: Well, I'm a big proponent of what's known as assessment for learning, so it's assessing to help with learning rather than assessing to get some kind of endpoint. So for me, assessment has to capture growth and it has to have growth at its core. How do we see students' growth and how do we encourage that growth? And so if we're giving kids test scores and grades, those are very blunt kind of summative messages. This is where you've got to. They don't help the kids grow. They don't help them see their own growth. So um, I'm not a fan of those. They're okay at the end of a course as a summative measure. But during the course, we should be really using assessment to help kids develop and grow so i'm a big fan of rubrics i love that rubrics set out for students what their learning journey is so as they're looking at those different levels of maths and different things they can get to they get to self reflect on what their own learning is and that self-reflection is huge for their achievement So anything we can do to bring kids into the assessment process and to Mm -hmm. map out their learning journey and to give them feedback on their journey is really, really helpful. I also love self-assessment, same reason, getting kids to think about their own achievement and where they're at.
0: I I mean, we use... um... Like I said, we are incredibly fortunate to um, to have such wonderful curriculum leaders at our school. And we use um, things like three stars and a wish. We use um, uh, post it notes, I think, are the greatest invention for educators. We use different color um, pens, depends. So, for example, uh, or one of the questions maybe what do you know about data? And it's just a piece of paper. And kids mm-hmm. write in a green pen for week one, a red pen mm-hmm. for week two. And then at the end, you have this wonderful. Um, a selection of uh, of how far our sort of students have progressed. Um, and so we, we use self-assessment extensively. And it's really wonderful now. We're starting to really incorporate peer assessment uh, into mm. our mathematics lessons. Mm. So students can, we had to do a whole lesson on how do you give people good feedback. Don't just say that's terrible, uh, but what are yeah. some, what's some some types of useful feedback, which nice. I think is really, really, really important. And- um, that and obviously work extensively around things like consistency of teacher judgment and traffic lights and and so mm-hmm. I've, I've i've got your your book here that i've been flicking through it's quite doggy and i've been writing all over mm-hmm. it um, but there's some wonderful selections in there even in terms of reflection for your big ideas so uh what was the big idea we worked on today what did we learn uh, what good okay. ideas did i have today and i think it's really yeah. um it's really nice and i think we um uh, I think we rely too much on that summative assessment at the end of a task mm-hmm. when we realise yeah. the data is throughout. Right.
1: And, and if we really value the student's thinking and reasoning and problem solving and different ways they approach maths, that has to be reflected in the assessment. We can't value all those things and then assess them on answers to questions. Yeah. Because that's a huge message to the kids that we don't really care about those yeah. That yeah. Reasoning. we really just care about the answers and um yeah our assessment really has to reflect what we value and and that communicates a great deal to the kids so it sounds amazing what you're doing
0: yeah um, it, it's
1: really so and it's- honestly you're um uh, you're like I, you can tell I'm a
0: teacher because I read books about maths and maths teaching on my holidays but I think it's wonderful and as I said for me it's it your work has really been been a a renaissance of sorts, like an enlightenment to to, to the possibility of what maths could be. Um, Mm. And it's, uh, we're so incredibly grateful um, uh, for that. And like I said, I I did want to be respectful of your time, Joe, and just a couple more questions. So if if I would, if I just graduated from university, I was ready to go into the classroom, I've got my piece of paper and my shiny new shirt on, what would be some advice that you would give me uh, to, um, Uh, in order to ensure our students succeed in mathematics?
1: Well, I think any class of students I teach, whatever age they are, I always start by trying to repair the maths damage that they will invariably have had. I always start with the assumption that they have some wrong ideas about maths and about learning. And I start by doing a lot of work to help with that. Um, I always ask my students to write like a maths reflection or a maths history coming into class so I know what is going on for them. And we do a lot of work. Um, this is why we started on our website, a uh, section of uq which is called the Week of Inspirational Maths. And we that's a great start to lessons. Have the kids do these open exploratory problems, play the mindset videos, really get them into seeing maths differently and seeing themselves differently. So, But I do think we have a responsibility as maths teachers, teachers of maths to take on the damage um, that kids probably come with and really try and repair that from the Um, very first days. You sound like a a, a
0: clinician in an emergency ward, unfortunately. (laughs) where you yeah. have to come in and realize, like, I mean, it's sad but true, We you have to come in and realize, okay, what are the things we need to repair? What are the things that are mm-hmm. urgent? And how can we diagnose the problem? But I, I think that's uh, that's incredibly important. And, and, and Joe, if I was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a, I, I just stepped into a leadership role at a school and I wanted to create a, an environment in which students uh, flourished in, with mathematics, um, mm-hmm. What advice would you give me for that?
1: Well, we have a great leader on our website. Actually, it's a tab that says Growth Mindset School. We went to visit him. And it was the principal who wanted to just have the whole school be about mindset. And so he wanted the maths teachers to change. The first thing he did was go and interview kids on film and ask them how they felt about maths. He went around the school and interviewed all these kids and then played them for the maths teachers, played the video. Um, but then he said the very first thing they needed to change was the assessment. He said, we can't be saying to kids that mistakes are good for their brain and struggle is good, and then mark them down every time they make a mistake. So they started using rubrics. They stopped using all the tests that they were given. Gosh. Um, and he got the parents. I thought it was really interesting. He got the parents on side because they were like, the teacher started valuing all these different methods and approaches and the parents were like you know what's this about maths is one answer and so he had a parent meeting and he did a number talk with the parents right right? great idea yeah and of course the parents had no strategies they just had these half memories of algorithms and um he used that to show them how valuable it is when you learn different approaches and different ways of doing things, and you're not just stuck with this algorithm you learned. Wow! Um, so he was pretty thoughtful. And they brought about really great changes at the school. We that. have a nice video on our site. I about...
0: Yeah, I, I, I've actually seen that video. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's inspiring. And it reminded me just how long people, I mean, people carry their perception of mathematics and quote, unquote, maths baggage throughout their lives and into adulthood. And it was a reminder yeah. that we need to be fixing these misconceptions early on. Uh, because otherwise, we'll just have like, young kids that hate maths, and then just adults that hate maths, like it doesn't fix yeah. itself. I think it's right. really important. Right. And Joe, final question, um, uh, a little bit of parenting parenting advice. Um, as I mentioned, I have two daughters, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. How do I make sure that I set them up for a life of um, really loving mathematics so that when they are adults, they still love this wonderful subject? How do I do that at home?
1: You know, one of the key things that parents need to do, and this isn't specific to maths, but it's really a parent role, is to um, be okay about your children making mistakes. Mm. That can seem like easy advice. And it's actually really hard. Like, what do you do when your child has broken your favorite something, or is over exuberant and knocked over mm. there? And if you're really harsh in with kids, when they make mistakes, then they will develop a fixed mindset around mm. mistakes. Mm so I really had to work on that with my own kids like even if they did something that was really really upset me I had to work on saying you know it happens this is part of life we make mistakes and um so I I would give that piece of advice I think it's really important for parents but just playing being playful with maths is another area I mean it sounds like you're already doing that when you're with your own kids and games with dice are super helpful encouraging fingers we know that fingers are really key to maths and having kids play finger games and just seeing maths as this great playground all around us that we can engage with and if you can keep that sense of play for kids as they get older and older and keep that sense that they can be curious and have curiosity about maths then you're going to be golden
0: yeah we um uh... We, uh, my daughter had a friend over the other day, and she asked to play some games. And I, I think that my daughter's friend thought they were going to pull out a, an Xbox or a computer game, a computer game. And my daughter went; she's got a drawer full of maths things, so mm-hmm. like dice and counters and pattern blocks, and and she pulled them out and started playing maths games with her, um, which I think was really was was really lovely and to hear yeah, them giggle nice. and talk about and, and kind of wrestle with problems was really important. And um I think seeing I think what we're trying to do is just like if you spend time in a kindergarten class, you see this wonderful creativity and excitement and this love and this passion for learning. Um, my job is to try and keep that with my mm-hmm. students and my kids. Yeah as they grow up because yep. we, we don't want to lose that do we I think that would be a really- we don't
1: want to lose that and I saw some a very sad data graph once of the number of questions kids ask in class which goes starts really high in kindergarten and just goes into this steep decline Gosh. to virtually nothing Gosh. and you know we can probably imagine this we've been in classrooms I've taught high school kids don't ask questions Uh, But in kindergarten, they have too many questions. (laughs) They have so many questions. And um, how do we stop the kids feeling that questions are okay? Yeah. Um, They stop asking. And that, to me, is something we have to keep going. We have to keep telling kids that we want your questions. We love questions. There are no bad questions. I love that. Uh, All questions are good. I love that.
0: Professor Joe Bowler, it has been an absolute privilege to get to speak to you and thank you for um, for taking the time um, in your Sorry. schedule to have a conversation with me. And um, my hope is that there will be teachers all over the world that hear this, that start to really change the way that they teach maths and really change some of those mindsets with their students. So I, I can't thank you enough for your time and, and I wish you well for the rest of your day. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you,
1: Matthew. So it's really been a great pleasure. And um it- Really enjoy the conversation. Thank you.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com and I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.